I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rose Choice, and this is this is the final podcast. This is the final episode, not ever, but this is the final podcast episode of season four. And in my opinion, we're ending it on a pretty high note. Now, we started the year with one of my favorites, and that was with Steve Gladstone. And it was on the tail of him announcing his retirement. We just watched the IRA go through. Unfortunately, Yale didn't make it. Um, but now we're ending it with a guy who's been around, I think, almost as long, uh, maybe a guy that's been has seen rowing for five or more decades. Now, I have had the opportunity to be very close friends with, with men that have rode for, for this gentleman, Chuck Crawford. And I want to say disciples. I'm not sure it's a, it's a, it's a, that's a tough word to use, but every single person that has ever rode for this guy has said they loved him and they say nothing but great things. Now, some of you maybe on the West coast or in the Midwest have probably never even heard of this guy, but he's been doing this since the 1970s. He is Finished his career at Delaware. He still has his hands in there. But we're talking to Chuck Crawford today. And this guy is going to be, we're going to be talking about how he got started like we always do. And then we're going to move into all those decades of free coaching. I'll, I'll explain that. We'll get into that story later on. And then my last question for him is, where does he see rowing headed? And what does he see want happen? But, but first, we get going, Chuck. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me out. You're welcome. So, Chuck, you, uh, you've you been doing this a long time. Now, we're going to try not to spend a whole lot of time talking about the early years, but I asked the same question. How old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Well, it would have been 1965, and I would have been 14 years old. Uh, I rode at Monsignor Bonner High School. My freshman year, I got voted in a shell three times during the whole year. The rest of the time, we were sent up and down the East uh, the Kelly Drive. <laughs> at the time, it was called the East River Drive. And uh, we did a lot of running, so we learned how to run mostly that year. My sophomore year, I fortunately made the JV Junior Varsity A and uh, did quite well. And then my junior and senior years, I made the varsity eight at Monsignor Bonner. And also uh, <clears throat> we, uh, we we voted up mostly a Monsignor Bonner High School eight and went to the uh, trials for the under six, uh, no, under 19 team, which at that time was called the uh, junior team. Wait and a minute. So hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me interrupt here really quick. I had no idea this was the case. So just instead of building a powerhouse team out of Philly, you just sent the Bonner eight over to trials for the junior national team. Pretty much. It, it might've uh, included one or two guys that were not in the Bonner eight, but we went to the uh, trials and we won. Uh, we, we beat the team that was the national school board champions at your St. Joe's collegiate Institute. And um Several other teams. Litchfield had a crew uh, that was coached by Bill Stowe, as well as uh, uh, Vesper had a very good crew. But we ended up winning the trials boat from water 
and uh, went to the Junior Worlds. And that year we got seventh. Um, and it, it was our first experience, I guess, racing internationally for U.S. Junior teams. Oh that year also, Jimmy Dietz won the single at the Junior World, so he, he was a member of that. Actually, I might be wrong on that. He may have finished second, but he was up there in the top three. And there was a double from Oyster Bay that, that actually did very well, and they won. Oh, my. So this is what, 1968, 1967? 67, that was. In 68, we went back, uh, and we did a little bit better. We finished third. Uh, the East Germans had a crew that year called Dynamo, uh, and they were later referred to as the Babes of East Germany. Uh, four years after that, they ended up winning gold medal at the, World, at, at the Olympics. Oh, same crew. It was the Dynamo uh, Junior Eight in 1968. Wow! All so, right, so rowing rowing became real serious for you, obviously, right? Like at the uh, junior level, it was all that you were doing. Um, was it something that your parents knew a lot about, or or anything at all? Like, did you get any parental support? No, not really. I mean. Uh, as far as support, my father used to like to go to all the races and everything. But other than that, they had no clue about rowing. And I kind of took a, an interest in it because of the success of the best parade in the 1964 Olympics. And being a local Philadelphia kid, uh, basically, I just got very interested in it. And Monsignor Bonner had a team. So uh, I joined up after getting cut from the football and basketball teams. So rowing was uh, something I found that I could do and be successful at, and uh, I, I enjoy it very much. So, okay, let me ask you this, and and uh, I, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how you answer this. So, uh, we were at the Stotesbury Cup just a couple weeks ago, and you go to the grandstands in Philly. You know what I'm talking about, and it's electric. There were people screaming, going nuts. A couple thousand people. What were the banks of Philadelphia like, Kelly Drive, in the 1960s when you were racing? on on that stream of water well um the the river itself is, is very much the same very similar obviously uh there's been dredging over the years and and repairs to the grandstands and and modifications and and the new boathouses built up there and temple boathouse being reconstructed uh but it's 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 always been a great scene and a great place a hub of rowing in the in the mid-atlantic region and um a, a lot of great rowers out of philadelphia um at the, at the time i was rowing collegiately there were guys like sean dre an irishman who was a single scholar who, who won the diamond skull at henley three years in a row he was also uh fourth in the olympics in the single wow. uh, as as well as many other very very good teams that came out of Philadelphia. So let's go let's go let's talk about 1969 19 you know 1968 to 1969. You're going to college. Where did you choose to go? Did you row in college? Like what was that transition like for you? Okay. Um, yes, I decided to go to Rutgers. Um, I, I was fortunate to. Uh, be admitted and get a nice scholarship 
um, and our, our coaching there was uh, Bill Levitt was the head coach. Our freshman coach was Buzz Congram. So I was at, at that point in my life uh, very much a student of the sport. So I was taking in basically everything I could from our coaches and 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 learning the craft of coaching as as well as improving my craft at, at, at rowing. Uh, funny enough, uh, in my senior year, 1972-73, I actually graduated in the middle of the year, but in 1972, uh, a U.S. lightweight crew was being developed uh, where they invited pretty much the top EARC people that were lightweights. I rode heavyweight at Rutgers because I felt that I could compete at the entire heavy, heavyweight level, even though I was at 162 pounds naturally. But I decided to uh, try out for this lightweight squad up in uh, Cambridge. And Steve Gladstone happened to be our coach. Uh, <laughs> So there was another great learning experience for me as far as learning how to improve my craft there. I ended up growing five seat in that lightweight eight. We raced internationally uh, in, in Munich uh, just prior to the Olympics. And we won that race over there. So after that, we traveled around Europe a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a trip with my uh my wife to Scandinavia and I, I jokingly tell them that um, but it's true our crew decided to race the eight and the senior eight at the Danish national championships and we won that race so in a sense I'm a Danish national champion too. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Wow. All right. So 1972 this is your senior year you're just graduate you just graduated said middle of the year um, you got Gladstone as your coach, you're traveling the world, you're winning races. How many more years do you spend putting in the oar, putting in the work? Like how many more years do you spend training and working out? All right. Well, interesting enough, um, I, I started in a family business and was basically deemed, uh, to, to run the business. So I started that in 1973, uh, February and, uh, we, uh, we, we had a franchise, in, an Arby's Roast Beef franchise, and I was kind of keen to, uh, to expand it and run it and build the business for the family. Uh, in doing that, I, I gave up my opportunity to go to any more camps. Wow. So I trained in Philadelphia and waited for guys that could cut from the camps. And for the next three or four years, I finished second in the trials and the four without with, with some guys out of Philadelphia that would have come to the back to Philly after not making it in the camp system. Um, also finished second in the nationals in the, in the pair a couple of years, a couple of times in those years in the, in the light pair. And uh, uh, can, continued to train somewhat, but uh, by the time I got to the late 70s, uh, the coaching uh, prospect seemed a little bit more desirable. I, I continued to train while coaching and, and running the business, but there was only so much I could do and do really well. Wow. Uh, 
I, I was a, an assistant coach at Monsignor Bonner in 1977. And in 78, I was invited to apply for the uh, St. Joe's prep head coaching job, which I did. And uh, I, I took took that position. And uh, within three years, we built up a powerhouse of the crew and were national champions in 1980. Uh, we went to Henley in 1980 with that crew. And they got second, uh, finished in the finals, just uh, a little bit behind uh, another American school, um, St. Paul's from New Hampshire. And later we went to Henley many times with the prep crew. So, all right, let's, let's, all right, this is wild. So, the Arby's franchise that, that you said 1973, was that your parents that had that? Your, like, how, it was, what? It was my uncle. And he didn't have any sons. He had two daughters. But basically, uh, the, the business today, we, we operate 19 Arby's restaurants, and we own the real estate in half of them. And it's it's been a great family business. I have a sister, a daughter. My son's our attorney. Uh, he he's works in a law firm, but he actually uh, works part-time for us. Uh, wow. So wow. All right. A really nice build up family business that is all right well yeah well because well, I, I have a bunch of questions about that as as an entrepreneur and as a business owner myself i i have a million questions but i want to focus on rowing you this is a wild moment so 1973 to about 1978 you're working a business learning a family business right you're 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 really cutting your teeth hard on that but at the same time you're training in the in the four without the pair you're doing really well was there ever a moment in that time, those four or five years, where you're like, screw the Arby's. I got to go all in, man. We got the Olympics coming up. We got like, let's go all in. I, um, at, at the time, lightweight rolling was not an Olympic event yet. Uh, probably if it had been an Olympic event, I would have had those thoughts. But knowing my limitations uh, and understanding that I wasn't going to get looked at for the heavyweight team uh, seriously. So I basically stuck with the plan of the business and also started the coaching. And yeah, and the coaching with, kept you interested. I get it. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you, you had the head coaching job at St. Joe's prep. And now how many years were you the head coach of that program? Uh, 10 years. And the family, my family was starting to grow. Um, 87 was the last year I did it, but I had another stint where I joined, went back to the prep in two, 1997 and coached there until 2000. Uh, we, Bill Lamb was the head coach at the time. I was yeah. part of as the associate head coach. And, uh, we had the goal of winning Henley, and we did that in 2000. So the mission was accomplished, and I uh, bowed out again. But <laughs> in, in, in between that, I, I started the Dower program. First, I, I was coaching the women, and that started in 1991. Uh, and I coached the women's team for five years, but I started the men's program. In, in the fall of 91, after the women had gone through a, a spring season. 
um, and coached the men until 96. So one, one extra year. Uh, I resigned from coaching at Delaware and went back to the prep at that point in time in 97. Uh, the, the reason was I was a little bit miffed by not being included in the discussions that the university was having to take the women vars varsity and um, felt that, okay, if, if this is a situation and they're not really uh, interested in me, then I, I don't need to be there. And being an unpaid coach, volunteer, I mean, it, it was certainly a situation that uh, I got to I got to I got to I got to get some things corrected here. This is insane. I love it. I love this history. So 90, 1978 to 1987, one of the most successful junior programs in the country. You are you're running that program, but you're not getting paid a dollar. Is that correct? You were not getting paid a prep for those 10 years? Well, they offered to pay me, but I volunteered to, to, to <laughs> not accept any funds. So basically, I. I I had my business going. I, I was making enough money from that that I didn't have to rely on the on, on the possibility of, of having a paid position. And it was just basically an ego thing that I, I, I decided that I was going to just give back my time to rowing and, and not be involved in, as, in it as a paid coach. Wow. All right. So it's so funny. I'm in the launch with Bill Lamb probably four years ago. And... I said, you know, give me some advice, you know, coach, give me some advice. What, 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 what do you suggest? And he says, well, here's my best piece of advice, become independently wealthy and never get paid ever as a coach, because then it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. They're not going to, you're not beholden to anybody. You're not, you know, you're not in a tough spot with the, with the board or the school. And he said this jokingly, but he was dead serious. Like he also said that at that time when he was coaching, he never was paid a dollar. At prep, yeah. and and Bill is obviously a disciple of mine. I coached him in 1978 and 79, and worked with him. He was my freshman coach uh, during the mid 80s, and uh, then I went back and and I mean like we're best of best friends in, in a sense. Uh, we don't speak to each other every day, but we we do speak to each other very often, and. Uh, play golf together he taught me the game of golf and we're, we're, we're great comrades oh man you know there's probably i cannot imagine what your rowing rolodex looks like right now i can't imagine how many people you've connected with and and been in the launch with uh we just i you and i could talk for three or four hours i'm sure about all this right but let me let me get in it you said in 1991 you started the delaware program right so let, let, let's talk about that. So why Delaware? Why did you start that program? Why were you engaged? Okay, I, I lived in Delaware the whole time I was in my business. So I moved to Delaware in 1973. And the situation was the Wilmington Rowing Club at that time. Now the Wilmington Rowing Center had, had started. My wife was one of the founding members there. And she, by the way, was a national champion in the lightweight double in 1973. So My God. She started rowing, you know, and because she liked it and because I told her to. All right, now, hold on. Let me be honest with me here. 
who's the better rower, Chuck? Is she the better rower or are you the better rower? Well, today she certainly is. <laughs> she rows she rows about five times a week. Whoa. Yes. Yeah, so she she's very active. And uh she was out this morning for a couple hours. So Of course. Of course. What kind of boat what kind of boat does she row? Does she row with a team or she row in a single? What does she do? She rows an Embarker single mostly. Beautiful. And, Beautiful. And has a has a a rowing mate uh in the double only um Rollins Graham who is married to Cleet Graham of Philadelphia the former yeah. Super Navy director and runs the uh used to run the Stokesburg regatta and everything wow so you're so you're in you're in Delaware the whole time 1973 you moved there you're there for nearly 20 years before you start University of Delaware crew so how did how how did you how did that come about? How did you do that? Um, the the girls went to the Wilmington Rowing Club and, and there were eight of them plus a cox and, and said they'd like to start a team and could they do it? And they were told by the Wilmington Rowing Club people they could if they got a coach. And they also mentioned to the girls that I had coaching experience. So... The girls asked me and recruited me in a sense, and I, I accepted it. That's how we got it going. Wow. Wow. So it's it's just, it's really just that simple. So you accept this job, you set this volunteer position, and you said a year later the men's team was started? Yeah. Actually, it was during the course of the same year, but it was in the, in the fall, whereas the women started in the spring. Got it. Okay. So fall of 91. Got it. Okay. And then at that point, you're you're, I mean, how are you sourcing equipment? How are you finding access? How are you, I, there's so many questions, right? But, but, you know, you have these kids that don't know what they're doing, right? So how did, how did this all come about? Well, I, I, I lent the club money to buy the first two or three boats. Uh, we also received a grant from uh, Henry DuPont and also another grant, a smaller grant from uh, a Professor Schweitzer uh, who was a chemistry professor, and he became the moderator, the first moderator of the team. So, we, you know, we found the funds, we found the money. Uh, later, as, as the team was expanding, especially the men's team, uh, this would have been in the early 2000s, I had an assistant coach, Vinny Puma, uh, who, who helped me with the program, and he and I financed a lot of the expansion of buying boats and just moving the program forward. So the team team has built up an endowment of a couple hundred thousand dollars over the years, and it's, it's fairly strong. Uh, the, the head present head coach, my successor, uh, is also the same type of mind of, as me. He's an unpaid coach. His name is John Williams. He's an attorney. Mm -hmm. uh in wilmington and uh, my son is an attorney in his firm so they're uh associates at like I... and it's uh, john actually wrote at williams college and uh started the program at or he coached at the program in, in uh atlanta while he was in law school at emory so uh he, he's similar to bill lamb you know yeah, a, a guy that coaches without being paid, and and myself, and 
worked out really well. You know, Chuck, man, I, it's wild, man. I, I knew your story. I didn't know a lot. There's a lot of things that I didn't know. And you're sort of famous, you know, you know, you are in the rowing community. You're famous on the East coast. You're famous around a lot of areas that you, uh, that were there. And I can't believe that you have such a passion for the sport and for the athletes that you finance the teams for like a decade that you gave away tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of funding, you know, being paid as a salary. So what is it? Why, why did you do all that? What did rowing give you in the 1960s and seventies that you feel the need or the desire to give so much back for 30 or 40 years? Well, I, I'd say that success begat success. Uh, the success I had in rowing, I was able to translate into business and, and felt that by giving back, I, I would always be reaping rewards from the business. And it, it just kind of worked out that way, fortunately. Uh, you know, you just touched on something. Um I was a I was a very selfish individual. I started my business in 2012, and um, you know, started finish line shell repair. And it was this little shop, and we were building, building, building. And I spent the first about seven, eight years selfish, you know, um, trying to get whatever I can get out of the business and and doing whatever was necessary. And then I started going to church. I started focusing on my family, and then I learned in the last couple of years. The more that I give away, the more time that I give, the more money that I donate, the more I support the community around me, the more I really do get back. I mean, you you seem to have learned that pretty early on in your career. Is that a fair a fair thing to say? I, I'd say that's the nuts and bolts of it. Yes, um, I had a strong foundation. My parents were very good people and brothers and sisters, big family, uh, and uh, with. With my children, I, I tried to teach them the same thing, and, and they're very giving people, it seems like, and things have, have worked out for us. Now, in the time, though, so from the 1970s through the 2000s and even now, um, I, you were building you were building stores all over the place. You, you said that you own half the land, so you're talking about eight, nine, ten properties. You're talking 19, 20-plus Arby's. And then coaching is a full-time gig. So how did you balance family, faith, business, coaching? How did you balance all of that in those 30 years? That was tricky. But fortunately, most of the coaching was done early in the morning, except when I was coaching at the prep, which was in the afternoon. But uh, I, I had, in a sense, I had to hire really good people to, to work the business. And I was fortunate in that case to be able to do that. And I've surrounded myself with very, very good people. And uh, they have basically done a tremendous job at, at advancing everything the way mm -hmm. it needs to be. Do you, is there, uh, you, you said that, I mean, it seems like you have a pretty good relationship with your kids. Was that ever sacrificed during this period of time? Well, when they were very little, um, that's when I decided to, to leave the craft my first time I left. And there was about three or four years where I, I was able to spend more time with the kids. And then when I decided to go back into coaching, it was at Delaware and things were 
early in the morning for the most part. Uh, so my day would be a little bit more uh, suitable to coaching and, and running the business than it was when I was coaching at the prep. And uh, as far as the family goes, um, I, I, I'm blessed. I, I've been blessed with three great children. Uh, my my wife is is tremendously in, engaged with them. She babysits now as a grandparent all the time. Uh, my my middle daughter, who by the way was a uh, lightweight national champion in college. Um, <laughs> she uh she lives out in Michigan. She's an orthopedic surgeon at the University of Michigan. Jesus Christ. She's a team physician for uh University of Michigan and also for the men's lacrosse team. Uh, but she uh she rode in the Princeton 2003 undefeated lightweight eight. Uh, and uh it did quite well now. I see the Princeton women's lightweight eight just won the IRA again. They did. And, uh, I, I believe they went undefeated this year against lightweight competition too. So it's great, great thing that she was the first crew to do that there. Oh my God, Chuck, this is so funny, man. I, I love it. All right. So let's, you had a couple guys. I don't know if you remember these names or not. Uh, Matt Feffley, uh, Pete Seymour, um, uh, Kevin Miller. These are guys that rode at Delaware under your tutelage. And I I asked them, I said, guys, like, what was this dude like? Give me some background. And they looked me square in the, square in the eye and they're like, best coach we ever had. And I'm like, holy cow. That's a, I mean, I hope you know that's a pretty good compliment, Chuck. I hope, I hope that sits well with you. Oh, it does. And I appreciate it. I, I appreciate all the guys that coached. Um, one, one fellow in particular, uh, Dan Beery, was in the 2004 Olympic gold medal eight. Yep. And I get, got a, um, at, at the time, there wasn't as much internet activity going on yet. And he sent me a uh, telegram. Within an hour, they, they were allowed to uh, send out telegrams at the Olympic Village and and said, said thank you. If it wasn't for oh. me, he wouldn't have been there. But Oh, dude, I just got goosebumps. I got goosebumps. Oh, my God. And uh, my my son-in-law that's married to my daughter in Michigan, Eileen, her husband, Dana Schmunk, was a uh, a silver medalist at the World Championships in the heavy, heavyweight division a couple times. So, Wow. So, uh, Rowling's out there in our family and got to get the grandkids all started now. <laughs> God willing. Uh, so 1965, you start rowing. Now it's 2023. So many decades. Um, you spent five decades coaching. What was some of your favorite years? What were some of your favorite moments um, in all that time? Um, one in particular was in 1982. Uh while I was coaching at the prep, I also had did a lot of coaching at Penn AC in the summers. And uh, we, we had the first um, camp for junior under and under 19 team. And we ran it out of Philadelphia. We, we invited uh, kids from all over the country. Uh, 
Raul Rodriguez's brother, Ricardo, was a key member of that crew. Yeah. And there's a story I can tell you that's kind of anecdotally a little bit funny. And he was at a place, he lived in uh, New Orleans, and he didn't have a uh, an ergometer to, to train on. And one of our sponsors for that team was Eastern Airlines at the time. It was run by a guy named, whose treasurer was a guy named Jose Smith, who was a Cuban immigrant to America. And he knew the Rodriguez family from racing Miami and New Orleans and all those places. And, and he asked me to invite Ricardo to the camp, even though uh, he didn't have the opportunity to send our ERP score or anything in. So I did, of course, and invited him up. And I picked him up at the airport. And I, I said to Ricardo, I said, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. What side do you row? He says, I row stroke. I said, well, yeah, I, I understand you row stroke in New Orleans, but what's what side do you row on? Do you row on port or do you row on starboard? Not knowing how much this kid really knew or anything. <laughs> he said, doesn't matter. I wrote both sides. I, I just wrote stroke. So sure enough, we, we're training all, uh, all all summer, early summer. And uh, Larry Connell was also the coach with me of that team. Um, we end up making the eight. Uh, that team was stroked by Ricardo Rodriguez. And they end up at the, at the uh, Junior Worlds, finishing second to the West Germans, beating East Germans and the Russians. So it was a very, very special moment with a very special group of guys and team. Uh, we had two prep kids in that crew, Cox and Chris Morris and John Klenick, who was a six-man. And uh, the rest of the guys were from all over the country, or at least the West Coast was not involved yet. So we just had mostly East Coast guys, but we had guys from all over the East. I love I love that. I wrote stroke. Doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> so, so all right. So you know. By the way, R Ricardo's an orthopedic surgeon now too, <laughs> as as his father was, and Raul, of course. His son was just in the his son was in the cowboat that won yesterday. Wow. I guess. So Ra Raul, of course, won one of the uh, silver medal in the straight four with the Penn AC crew back in uh in the Olympics in nineteen eighty eight. Jesus Christ. I love it. All right. Well, look, in the nineteen nineties, American rowing really started to change, right? There was there's a, a large number of people that are all part of that change. You see big growth in the national team in the late 90s, and then here we are today. You were clearly involved at the national level, right? You were doing the juniors in the early 80s. You were with one of the best programs in the country scholastically. How engaged were you with this big shift in training that was happening in, 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 in America in those early 90s, late 90s period? That's a great question. Uh, Chris Kortanowski came to America during that period. And he was a big influencer in everybody's training uh, and, and, and the way he brought 
the, the model from Poland is where he was from. But uh, he, he got involved in coaching coaches. And I was fortunate enough to be at Penn AC with some really good rowers at the time. And Ted Nash, of course, was there. And mm -hmm. uh, he, he was involved in, uh, in helping us to better hone our craft of coaching and uh it, it it was it was a unique situation and as far as the groundswell that developed later with women's growing uh i think that just has been a tremendous opportunity for our sport to grow and the, the women that have been involved in the sport uh right from the get-go have been very, very uh, responsible in, in making sure that the growth is, is is just going forward as well as it can. And obviously, the success Tom Tehar had with women's programs yep. over the years it has been fantastic. And uh, of course, the U.S. women are, are considered one of the top programs in the world every year. It's amazing i traveled to uh new zealand a few years back uh to do a hiking trip in new zealand and uh i said wow no wonder these new zealand people are such great athletes a little small country like that it produces all these gold medals at the, at the worlds and the olympics and everything it's, it's incredible so where's u.s rowing going to be well the, the opportunities are just incredible. Um, it's, it, it, you know, if, if you compare it to a small country like New Zealand and the success that they have had, especially recently in the eights and everything, uh, you, you wonder and you say, why can't we do better? And fortunately, the, the women's program has done very well. So in, in that regard, uh it, it's pleasant to see but on on the men's side we haven't done as well as we should yeah and um, it's it's something that I, I think a lot of people try to try to figure it out and and, and want to understand it but who knows i mean who knows what's holding us back i'm not sure well, let me, I want to get, you You said something, and I've heard this from a number of people that I've interviewed, that Korzenowski was coaching coaches. Can you give me any insight into that? What was he doing? How how was he coaching? Was he riding in launches? Was he coming to your boathouse? Like, how was oh, he yeah. coaching coaches? He, he was coming to our boathouse, going out in, in, in the launches with us, and uh, uh, running seat races and really really involved in, in trying to help get the top level people to be better was he doing that also at the junior level or was it specifically at the national team well level? He, he uh he, he was an influencer uh at, at pretty much every level but at, at the same time he spent most of his time with the elites and the pre-elites as they call them back then which would have been the under 23s um but for instance like we invited when when we ran the camp for the under 19 or the junior team uh we invited 
several coaches in and had some great input from many coaches at the time, Perry Parker being one of them, who, who came in and gave us some insight that certainly helped us uh, with, with, with our success with that team. Chuck, how did you get these people to come? Was it just a phone call and you said, hey, I need you to come down? Were you were you writing letters? Like how on earth did you get some of the best coaches in the world coming there? It, it, it was a phone call pretty much. And, That's you know, amazing. Yeah, I mean, we had no money to pay them, so <laughs> they had to do it on their own. <laughs> wow. Okay, so no no money. You had these, you had these men and women that, ah, they're just coming down to help. I, I, I feel like that's something that we're missing here in this day and age. I feel like coaches and rowing enthusiasts want to get paid. They, they, they won't do it for free. They won't be bothered by their time. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know how, I think it'd be pretty hard to call up some of the best coaches in the country to say, can you come down for two days? We're going to have a bunch of coaches here. Can you give us some insight? I mean, do you, do you feel that way or, or am I kind of overthinking it? Well, um, I, I went out with the uh, prep guys just prior to their winning at Stokesbury and uh, gave, gave them a little bit of insight. And uh, I went out with Morristown Girls uh, just recently. Um, so it's it's type of thing where I'm out there willing to <laughs> one of few, one yeah, of few Chuck. Let's talk about, let's talk about that prep eight right now. Cause we're, we're four days away from going to the national championship. And I have been, I have been really focused on this crew. I think Fife's doing an amazing job. I know you were coaching there when Fife was rowing at the time, you know, he was, you're talking about, cause you were there in like the late nineties, early two thousands. So, right. you know him, you know, the team, those boys got some juice, man. They got some power that I have not seen in a long time on a scholastic program. How do you feel about them at the national championship coming up? Do you think they're going to do well? I, I I think that they're going to certainly be in the medals, and uh, unless some type of thing, anything can happen, anything can go wrong in boat racing. But um, I I think they have the juice to potentially win it all, and uh, they they've had some uh, very very successful training methods that have been developed by the coaching coaches over the years of the prep and uh it it works very well i mean we, we've produced a lot of really great collegiate and national team athletes uh from that little school in philadelphia i know you know there's uh so i rode for mainland with Fefley with kevin miller Back in uh, from 2000, 99, 2000 to 2004. Um, and Chris Kinnicky was my head coach at the time. And we had Bill Lamb come out in a practice one time with us back our junior year when he had left the prep for, the, for that short period of time. We were running the prep workouts to a T. Five by 1500s on Friday, three by 20 on the erg. We did nine three minute pieces. Um, you know, the first three, the middle three, the last three. Larry Connell was sitting on his perch over there in Ventnor staring at us as we were rowing all the time. I like we were rowing the prep workouts and I got to say that was some of my most most successful rowing ever. Like really what the what has what was developed in those time in those early 90s late 90s 
was the framework to our success at mainland in the early 2000s. No question. Well, it's nice to hear. And we, we know that a lot of people copied us uh, over the years, but basically we, we just kind of worked out a system and we had Mike Patey included in that. By the way, I was Mike Patey's first coach. Oh my God. <laughs> when he, he brought it in senior Bonner, I was the assistant then. And uh, he, he was very helpful in helping us to uh, come up with a training plan. So Mike's a great guy. You, you are, yeah, you're, Chuck, you're very, you're very loved in the community, but you're also very connected. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're 50 minutes into this interview and it just, you, there's more and more names that keep coming out here. Um, CJ jokingly said this should be called the six degrees of, of Chuck Crawford. I feel like there isn't a, a rower from the seventies or eighties that you weren't connected to. I mean, geez, Louise, you're all over the place. Well, thank you. Um, and thanks to all the rowers that have trained under me because it was, it's been a blast. Uh, I've enjoyed every moment. I've learned a lot from them. This is, they've learned a little something from me, hopefully. And uh, it, it's it's been a great ride. So last question here, and that's, I think you're what? You're about 73, 72, is that right? I'll be 73 later in the summer. Yeah, 73 years old. So many years in the sport. You started when you were 14, 15 years old. That's, I mean, that's an unbelievable, unbelievably long time. What do you want to see happen in rowing for the next 10 or 20 years? You know, what are some things that you would love to see happen or perhaps even what are, what's some advice that you have for the young coaches that are now making it their career? Um, the, the, the biggest thing is, is to, to make sure that you understand that if you train the guys properly and you have them doing the right stuff, so they're physically improving all the time. They're going to get better and better and better. And I've, I've seen people that uh, other other coaches would have given up on developing to world-class athletes. So don't take it for granted that just because somebody is not looking the part yet, that they can't get there. And with the proper training, they can. The, the best trained athletes are the ones that win. The best looking rowing crews are the best trained. And it's a matter of that function between the two, having been trained properly and then learning the skill of, of free boat speed and being able to gather that with, with the amount of training that is brought into it makes it easier to get that free boat speed. So between strokes is just as important as during a stroke, but you've got to be fit in order to be properly adjusted to pull the pull the boat past you or during the stroke. So you know, I know I said this was the last question, but um 
you've you've experienced rowing from wooden boats all the way up to these incredibly fast carbon fiber shells with different blades. You have someone at the door, by the way. <laughs> it's our boat repair man. <laughs> we got to pause in the <laughs> CJ. Yeah. We'll have to edit this out. I'm I'm on a conference call for Rome, so going to read out my name. I'm sorry. Don't don't apologize. So we'll end with this. Um, you've experienced so many changes in the sport, right? The way you take a stroke with a spoon or with a 400 pound boat is a heck of a lot different than it is today. Um, how do I, how do I say this? Like you, you've had to constantly adapt and change, right? Like how important was that in your career, adapting and changing to the ever changing stuff of, of the rowing and the stroke and the everything, everything else in rowing. I, I would say that, you know, the, the invention of the concept to her is the most powerful tool that we have. And that in train in training, and especially for instance up in the northeast where you have bad weather in, in the winter time, in training the muscles to do the stroke as closely as possible to um, to what you need to do in a boat to make the boat effective is is what it's all about it's not so much the equipment itself it's the training and, and learning how to use the equipment to your benefit um it's it's still the same for instance of pulling a boat past a planet or in water and trying to get it to propel through the water across the top of the water as quickly as possible and then on the recovery not to slow down, but to keep that momentum that you build up going as, as freely as possible. And the, the oars, for instance, when they first came out, they, they made the cruise a little bit quicker in the first 500 meters. And people kind of learned how they, they had to pace themselves a little bit differently. But these are, these are transitions to, of things that just happened. As far as the, uh, the shells themselves, yes, the wooden shells were heavier and a little bit slower than, than what is out there today, obviously. Uh, but the fastest boats sometimes are, are not necessarily the, the fastest boats available. It's just that they're the boats that are easiest for the, the majority of rowers to make and, and get them up to speed and keep them going at speed for as long as possible. Um, Empocker, you know, is is a, a good quality eight or shell. It, it's it's a very very good boat. Everybody races them, but at the same time, some of the other boats may actually be quicker. It's just that you, they're harder to possibly balance and uh as a result coaches don't want to deal with that and uh they they take the route of going to empocker for the eights uh sometimes it's leafy for the smaller boats 
Uh, but it's 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 a situation where there's there's a lot of good shells out there, and uh, if if you have good people and they learn how to row properly and move the boat properly, uh, they they will be successful. Yeah, I love how you you, you put it very sim simple. Um, no matter what, no matter the the boat, the oars, it's still the same. You're saying it's still having to move on a fixed rigger or through the water as quickly as you possibly can, efficiently as possibly can. It doesn't none of that other stuff matters. And I think the the fact that you've been around for so long, you really bring it down to a simple a simple phrase. Now, Chuck, you have. I am really glad that we're ending our season with you. Um, the first coach of Mike Tady, as you put it, you were, you've been doing this <laughs> since 1965. Um, I had a blast, man, learning about your career. And I know that people that are tuning into this, they probably have a million questions they would love to ask you. But unfortunately, we're tied to an hour. So, Chuck, thank you so much for being part of the Rower's Choice podcast. And uh, I... I hope to see you on the race course one day. I hope to see you in Philly along the banks watching great rowing, man. I I, I, I hope to see you uh, still enjoying rowing as you leave Delaware and move on to bigger and better things. Well, thank you very much, Alex. And it's been a pleasure speaking to you and your audience. Hopefully we'll uh, have some insight that they can use. I love it. Now, everyone tuning in, this is the final episode of the season. Now we'll be doing, taking a summer off. We're going to be getting back into it in the fall. And if you made it this far, send us a message. We want to know what you want to hear about, what you want us to talk about, because um, we're still figuring out what the fall schedule looks like. Anyway, tuning in, thanks again. See you later.